Hello, everyone. I'm Jamie Flinchball, host of People Solve Problems, and I'm here with Andrea Jones of AJC. Um, really glad to see you. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Jamie. Appreciate your having me. So, uh, so we've known each other for a while. We've never really had a chance to to work uh, work integrally with each other, but um, with your company, which you founded in 2006, you provide effective project management and change uh, implementation based on the time value of life. And you're in the process, I think this is pretty cool, rolling out and deploying, I'm sure what was an evolution, your own framework called Execute Agility. Um, that's, that's quite a mouthful. I think I, 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 I think I almost need practice to say that, you know, three times back. <laughs> but uh, yeah, why don't, why don't you start just by telling us a bit about the framework, but, but I'd also like to hear how it came about. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. So why am I here talking to you today about this framework? First, I appreciate the invitation to be asked. So that's the first reason I'm here. Definitely have some content to share in the framework, but I'd like to open with a story and that gets at that why. So when I was uh, at Intel in my first job, I'd say this is around April of 2002. I was a process engineer in the factory. I wore a bunny suit. I carried a pager. I was called at 2 a.m. on Thursday night and 7 a.m. on Saturday morning. We had to be in the factory fully dressed in said bunny suit by 7 every single day. Didn't leave till about 6.30 uh, p.m. most days. It was a lot of work. A uh, great place to learn business, to learn operations, to learn project management. And I was in a particular group called Copper Polish at the time. And I remember I had done my first white paper. And this was, you know, we were responsible for maintaining large pieces of equipment, you know, that semiconductor processing wafers would go through. And as process engineers, we just needed to not only maintain the status quo, but also improve it. So how could we do it faster? How could we do it better with fewer defects and that type of thing? And I, you know, I'd been in that group for about, I don't know, maybe nine months. And I'd spent three or four on this particular white paper, this particular improvement project that I had shepherded through. And I followed what I thought was the right structure, the right framework, the way to do it. And I took it to the virtual fab, the process change control board on I remember a Tuesday that. afternoon at 4 p.m., possibly later because we all work till six, as I already mentioned. Uh, and I remember I was the only person from my group there, the only person from my group and my factory. And we had to present... And this was on like one of those spider phone things, you know, there were no shared screens at that time um, to people in other factories. So there was California, there was New Mexico, Arizona, uh, Hudson, possibly Israel and Ireland as well. And I, I shared my white paper, I had emailed it out ahead of time. And this one person, I don't remember his name, he cut me anew. I mean, he just laid into me. I didn't do it right. The results were all wrong. Everything about it was wrong. I needed to take it completely back to the drawing board. And who did I think I was? You know, I remember standing in that room, holding it together. You know, I didn't know this person. I couldn't see this person. Nobody could see each other except for the people in the room. All eyes glued on me. And I'm like, right. oh my gosh. Um, so thankfully he stopped at some point and I just left and went straight to the bathroom and probably broke down. But I remember thinking, if there was a framework or an expectation that I had to meet, why the heck didn't anybody tell me about that ahead of time? Like, why is it that I'm left to 
figure out what to do, prioritize all this. Like, oh, there should be, if there is, if there is an expectation, please articulate that and I will meet or exceed it, I guarantee. And I think that happens way too often in business. People have, leaders have expectations of their team to implement the right work, the most important work, to get it done effectively, efficiently, and be accountable to themselves. And they don't give their team any kind of framework or operating model in which to do this. Just figure it out yourself. And then they get mad. But <laughs> then they get mad when it's not done. And it's like, that's just not right. Because it's not right. Because, you know, I went home that day and I was devastated. Right. Um, and it affected me clearly 20, however many years later, it still affects me. I remember it distinctly. And that carries to our personal lives and that carries to the whole world. So if we can shift that around by giving people an opportunity to shine at work, giving them expectations that are clear and a way to implement or execute those expectations that's structured, I think it will really lead to people being more, more productive. They're, they're happier at work. They're getting things done. So the leaders are happier and then they can go on to live more productive and happy lives. So that's kind of how I found it in business. Yeah. Well, I, I, I love that. And of course, a lot of those stories uh, between the, the bunny suit, the white papers and the change control board are very familiar uh, to me. Um, but I, I've also say, you know, in, in addition to the, um, the employee side, who's putting it together, presenting it, I've, I've sat with leaders numerous times where they, they don't know what to expect from a presentation. And so they're, they ask a question and the person says, oh, that's on the next slide. And then they ask another question. Oh, that's on the slide after that. And, and I, I still remember one leader uh, from Intel said, you know, when I know what the framework is, I can relax because I know how the information is going to come to me. And so just having that common framework can be incredibly uh, useful to people because we don't have to worry about how to process the information. We only focus on what the information is. So, um, yeah, like a lot of like a lot of entrepreneurs, sometimes our own pain points are the source of uh, founding a business. So, uh, yeah. As, as Absolutely. So, you know, that kind of gets back to the framework, right? So yeah. the framework to your point encompasses prioritizing work that's impactful to the business. That's really the first thing that needs to be done. It's done at the leadership team level. And we finished with a customer this month, actually, where their IT team was being asked to do things from three different business operating units, as well as sales and marketing and HR and all of the support services within the company accounting. And within their own department of IT, they're expected to prioritize what's important to the overall business. And then they're expected to execute on those things. And they were finding it very challenging in both regards, unable to prioritize and unable to execute. And so this framework that we have starts with the prioritization and to your point, lists out all of your opportunities, considers criteria that are impactful to the business today. And the framework includes a reevaluation every quarter, more if necessary, uh, but a minimal every quarter. And then we score all of the opportunities against this impacting criteria. So they're relative to each other, they're scored for impact. So that's step one. And then we pull together a cross-functional team and we run Agile Sprints. We use Agile Scrum. What's different than traditional Agile Scrum, however, is most of the time when you're doing software development or new product introduction using Agile, you have fully dedicated cross-functional teams. So you have your marketing person 100%, 40 hours a week. You have your developers 40 hours a week. You have your um, procurement people 40 hours a week, whoever it is that's necessary in that particular 
project. And that's unrealistic for mid-market companies. They really can't afford to hire or assign their staff 40 hours a week on any project. Usually the team will have maybe four to 10 max hours to spend on incremental improvement project work because they're also the team that answers the phones and talks to the customers and enters the invoices and, you know, fixes the server and all of those things. So the agile framework that we use understands that and we still run sprints and we still document, okay, here's the first priority that came out of our prioritization. This is what we're going to work on. We've got a cross-functional team of stakeholders who cares about this or can impact it in some way, we'll list out the tasks. The team self-designates what they're going to commit to in two weeks. We start with a two-week sprint, like like that's pretty typical. Uh, and then we hold them accountable every day. What did you get done yesterday? What are you doing today? What roadblocks did you encounter? If it takes up to the 15 minutes, we, we stop the meeting, we'll troubleshoot offline, we facilitate that as the project manager of that type of work. And then we showcase results every two weeks. So to your earlier point about the framework with the leader, Leaders really don't want to micromanage. I have found they, they don't want to. The reason they often do is because they are confident people are getting things done. However, if there was a framework where everything people were doing was documented and every other week you had a review for 30 minutes where they were telling you exactly what they got done and of the things they didn't get done, why they didn't get it done and how they were going to improve to get it done the next time, you can relax. You don't have to micromanage them. They're doing it themselves. And there's a framework in which they're operating that they don't have to guess. They don't have to guess when they're going to be accountable. They don't have to guess when they're talking about their troubleshooting and their issues. They know it's coming the next day. Good, and I'd say world-class companies encompass some version of this, some version of a huddle. You know, Intel, it was the daily pass down. We knew we could get things out at pass down every day. A lot of operational companies do this. It's not new. But what's different is you're doing it with a cross-functional team on a specific initiative that's important to the business. And then you're reiterating it as you get things done and reprioritizing every quarter. So it's a very structured framework, no guessing as to how you do the work. The sky's the limit on what you can get done with it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I like the point around micromanagement. And I, I wrote a white paper about a good management system is a uh, an antidote to micromanagement. Because, again, they, they don't have to put their head on their pillow wondering what they're missing, right? They know what's going on. They can relax. And, and so, yeah, for, for most people, the, the, goal, uh, the goal isn't to micromanage. It's, it's out of fear, concern, and commitment to the organization, their goals. But without knowing, they, they've, they've got to go look everywhere, right? So um, and we, this might be an unfair question, but uh, we didn't prep our, our, our how we would dig into this framework of yours in advance. So how much of the value is the is it the framework itself and the work you do in the framework? How much does the framework just encourage the right behaviors? I think that's probably most of the value, Jamie, to your point. Companies that already operate well and have something similar they use, I wouldn't try to sell to them. What I found is that most companies, unfortunately, don't in this mid-market category that we are targeting. Yeah. Um, I talked to another colleague of ours, actually, another LGO, Jen Felch, the other day. She's the chief information officer at Dell Technologies. And I hope she doesn't mind that I'm talking about our conversation. I don't think so, because she said they really prioritize what she called two highways at a time. She said mm -hmm. two major initiatives. They might have some sub roads, you know, on ramps and off ramps, 
but only two at a time because any more than that, nothing gets done. Um, So I do think that if companies are already disciplined and they have a methodology, that's great. This works for people who don't, and it's pretty easy to absorb. Yeah. So that, I mean, that discipline and, and, and the story about Jen is an important thing because, you know, I have, even on my own Trello board where I keep track of my to-do items, I have a whip limit of two. I try not to be working on, and these aren't transformation projects. This could be call a doctor, but, um, but whatever, whatever, however, whatever those items are, there's got to be a whip limit. And I talk about prioritizing finishing things, right? Because you get them done, you can start other things. So uh, might just ask about the prioritization itself. Um, how do you go about that? Do you get super, uh, super rigorous about, you know, sort of an analytical prioritization or is there some instinct, intuition along with it as well? How do you get people through that tough challenge? Yeah, that's a great question. How do you do the prioritization? With customers that have not prioritized before, we don't try to get too analytical. So it's literally give us everything on your mind. So you and I have done working genius topic for another day, but we start with that big picture. What are the opportunities here? What are all those things you'd like to have done? Because often a leader in the middle of a quarter will come up with something new, throw it right over at their team. Their team all of a sudden has to stop everything they're doing to consider it. So we try to get ahead of that with companies who have not prioritized before by putting it down in writing all the things on their list and giving them that list. If you come up with something in the middle of the quarter, don't go disrupt your team, put it on this list, right? So it's, it's first brainstorming and then it gets into that that discernment discipline of how to analyze it. And again, we use criteria that the business comes up with. And if they don't have any, we'll give them some. Mm-hmm. Increase your top line revenue, reduce your operating expense, maintain your good people. Those are three pretty generic categories but most businesses could get behind them. And then we do, however, we've found over time, there are a couple considerations we do bring up. One is seasonality. So we worked for a company, they were an HR services firm. There was no incremental improvement work that happened in Q4. Right. And you can imagine all hands on deck doing benefits analyses for their customers. They did not have the bandwidth. Okay, great. So anything in Q4 was off the table. So we had to consider that. The other one is regulatory. So we've done quite a bit of work in biotech. If there is something you need to do that the FDA says, we will shut you down if you don't do this thing. Unfortunately, even if there really isn't a huge business impact, that's binomial make or break, you've got to do it. So we do offer that level of um, sort of detailed analysis over the business impact. Um, But it's, it's not supposed to be super sophisticated. It's supposed to be just get this going and we'll improve it over time as well. Yeah. And that's, you know, there's an old phrase of where there's no standard, there can be no improvement. And so, yeah, you just want to get a standard in place for how we prioritize and execute. And then, okay, well, that's that's our baseline. We'll, we'll get better from there um, as, as they go forward. So uh, so I, I, I love that. And, and the seasonality too, it's, it's nice to have rules because when people just say, oh, we're busy, let's not improve, as opposed to, no, we're deliberately going to turn it off so we can get this other work done and then we'll deliberately turn it back on. I think I, I always prefer being a little more conscientious of that than, than just, uh, I'll say, hope we, hope we pull ourselves out of the, out of the quagmire. 
Yeah. And, you know, here's a personal uh, analogy I think would resonate. A lot of people, when it gets closer to maybe the holiday season, they might slack off on their regular exercise program. <laughs> and they know they're going to do that, right? But then come January, they're back on the program. They're going back to their classes. And I'm that person. I really like accountability of being around other people. Um, I think it helps most of us. You know, I know it's not everybody. Right. But again, we tried to build in those those things that work with human nature and what we've learned from our time doing change management so that we can deliver a product and a methodology that will stick. Awesome. So we're, we're almost out of time, but um, let me just ask about, you know, the client side, because of course we've both been on the service side working with, with clients um, and you're going to do everything you can to help them be successful. What's, what's on their side? What's, what's critical for your client to be, aware of or cognizant of or take accountability for, for the, for the engagement to be successful? Yeah, that's a great question. And I wish they would all ask me that. <laughs> I think the most critical thing for them is to participate and have a little faith in the process. So if they will, you know, we're not asking way too much time from them. We don't think they will show up for those prioritization meetings. They we've built in here's how you educate your company we can't be the ones to tell them why you're doing this we can give you the words and the language but you need to have some skin in the game here too so i give a uh interesting i don't know anecdote imagine jamie that you're throwing a party in your backyard for i don't know one of your kids graduations or you know something and you have outsourced the decorations and sending out the invitations and the catering and even the setup, you've outsourced the cleanup. But if you don't show up to your own party, who's going to believe it was your party, <laughs> right? So I, I tell companies this, we can help you with the framework and the structure. We can tell you what to say. We'll run your meetings. You know, we're going to make sure you do the thing. However, you need to be the one to tell your team, this is what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. We're investing because we want to be better. I am here with you. I, I agree with this and I'm going to make sure that everybody is supported in it, but I'm the one saying that I'm not outsourcing saying that nobody's going to believe me, but this is what we really want to do. If I don't actually say it myself. Yep. Fantastic. And we are in fact preparing for a college graduation party that we're hosting. So quite a few months away, but I'll, uh, it is on my calendar, so I'll do more than show up. So <laughs> good. So thanks so much for, for sharing your story, your, your, your model, your framework and, and what you're doing with your clients. Um, uh, well, obviously in the show notes, there'll be links so people can, can find you if they're interested in learning more and, and, I uh, hope, uh, there's some nuggets people can take away to make their own organizations better as well. So thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the People Solve Problems podcast. Let's keep the conversation going. Visit jflinch.com for more episodes and other content. And continue to join us on your podcast app, of course. We greatly appreciate your feedback through reviews and ratings. Consider expanding your understanding of problem solving with Jamie's book, People Solve Problems, The Power of Every Person, Every Day, Every Problem. Available on Amazon. Until next time, Keep learning, innovating, and solving problems.